All right. It is the week of November 15th, 2021, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we're going to talk about UFC 268 pay-per-view buy estimates. We haven't heard anything about it. No numbers from Sports Business Journal or any other reliable sources. I'll break down why that is, as well as give you my own rough estimate of buys from the card. Then we've got the big one today, Endeavor's Q3 earnings call. Lots to unpack, a lot of highlights that focus specifically on the UFC and their revenue and costs. Very big deal today, especially with the results that came out. So we will unpack all of that here on this show. Then we've got LFA extending their partnership with UFC Fight Pass through 2025. A big deal. We'll talk about the pros and cons of that partnership as well as is LFA really suited for Fight Pass and vice versa? Is it a good relationship or should they really look elsewhere? Deal's already done, but we'll go ahead and break down our thoughts on that as well. And then we've got PFL and Legends memorabilia, that is, entering into a exclusive merchandising partnership and Legends taking a stake in the PFL. That is a very big deal considering their third season just wrapped up and the ratings were a little iffy. I'll talk about what that means for the promotion and why the deal makes sense and how it came together. Lastly, we've got to talk about ESPN singing the high praises of the UFC driving ESPN Plus subscriptions. Apparently, the global sports media broadcast partner of the UFC is very, very happy with what the promotion has done for their streaming platform. It's a very big deal for a lot of reasons, especially with those Q3 earnings that will couple with from Endeavor. It's a big business week and day uh, for the UFC in general. So with that in mind, we'll have timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is UFC 268 pay-per-view buys. We haven't heard a word on them, not a peep, not from any reliable sources anyway. If you are looking at pay-per-view estimates um, right now, chances are they are coming from one particular site that is known for making up salaries and pay-per-view buy estimates, so you need to throw those out the window. Um, I'm recording this early in the week, so depending on when this is released, it's possible that SBJ or another um, reliable source ends up putting out an estimate for 268 in that time. If that happens, then I apologize. But let's go ahead and run through this as though we're not going to get any numbers, at least anytime soon, right? Generally, that only happens when the pay-per-view not necessarily under delivers, but it doesn't do really great numbers. That's just the way it works. ESPN UFC wants to tout big pay-per-view buy events. It's good for their PR. It's good for them internally for morale. It's saying, hey, yeah, we we crush these numbers. If you look at you know McGregor Cerrone, Disney CEO brought it up on their earnings call. And Disney just had their earnings call recently, and they've talked about the UFC and being happy with it, but you know there was no mention of UFC 268 pay-per-view buys being very big, which if they had been at least in the upper echelon of good and in the very good range, would have been brought up, right? Because that is something you want to share with investors and shareholders and you know, reporters, you want to say like, oh, hey, here's what's going on. Considering Disney Plus is having some issues too, there would have been a big emphasis on those numbers. The fact we've heard nothing bode well, in my opinion, for pay-per-view buys. Um, Doesn't necessarily mean they're bad, but it is rare that you do not talk about pay-per-view buys in some sort of fashion if they're not good, right? Um, Might have messed that up. It is rare that you do not talk about pay-per-view buys if they're good. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) So, you know, it it was an amazing card from start to finish, right? But you've got a lot of things going on still. Um, COVID has has kind of retreated in many places in the U.S. now where, um, you know, we course haven't had any lockdowns and a lot of places have been kind of oh you know do whatever at this point but cases have dropped significantly over the past month or so where a lot of people probably feel you know safer to go out it's 
pre-winter so in a lot of places in the u.s it's still nice enough to go outside and do things or it's um you know the last type of getting outside weather without dealing with snow and all of that that could be a lot of factors um there there, there are reasons why this card maybe did not do as well as one might think when you're looking in terms of draw power, right? Um, Masvidal clearly was the A side in Masvidal versus Usman, which was reported to break around 1.3 million. I forget what the actual number came in at, but um, you know, over a mil, right, or near a mil, globally, big deal, very big deal. Um, and then you had Masvidal versus Usman two, which came in lower than one. I forget what the exact numbers on that were. I want to say 700K is what was reported, but again, it, it's been so long. Um, I'm not 100% on that either, but I know it was lower. It kind of dropped. That was probably as a result of Masvidal losing. Usman definitely took some of Masvidal's star power when we've talked about the transitive property, right? Diaz takes McGregor's, Masvidal takes Diaz's, Usman takes Masvidal's, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that, A, it being a rematch between Covington and Usman, um, despite how good that fight was, that might have turned off a lot of casual fans. They might have said, oh, he's just going to beat him again, which he did a little bit. Well, I don't know if you want to say more convincingly. I'd say, yes, more convincingly, pure decision. But, um, you know, that turns off casual viewers as well as the fact that you know, Covington is not historically a big draw. Internally in the MMA community, he's well known, he's boisterous, he's been able to make inroads with, you know, certain political affiliations that have garnered him attention. But if you look at his ratings for cards he's headlined outside of, you know, um, the pay per view against Usman at 245, he, they haven't been spectacular. They really haven't been that good. Um, they haven't been terrible. Well, actually, some were. I'm pretty sure his fight against Robbie Lawler was one of the lowest-rated um, ESPN, if not the lowest-rated ESPN show, although that was also at, like, 2 p.m. on a random weekend. It was very strange. But, um, you know, it's he's not a, a giant draw. He, he, at least through ratings and, and probably pay-per-view buys. He's really not. Um, so that could be part of the factor. And then you look at the undercard. I think that's another big reason. Um, you know, Whaley and Rose, again, not historical big draws. They're just not. And that doesn't mean they're not awesome to watch. I mean, it's amazing. You know, the card was fantastic. The card was awesome. If you're a hardcore fan, even if you're not a hardcore fan watching that card... I mean, Gaethje versus Chandler, right? Boom. Fireworks. But, again, in terms of the actual drawing power of those fights, you probably got some casuals converted from Gaethje and Chandler um, to semi-casual or more hardcore and semi-casual and semi-hardcore to full hardcore, for sure. But, you you know, it doesn't necessarily mean... Um, that they're going to bring in the casual on pay-per-viewer to watch Gaethje versus Chandler. Unfortunately not. So I would estimate that that probably did around 500K, maybe 400K buys. I think it probably did well. I don't think it did exceedingly well. Otherwise, the UFC, ESPN, somebody would be touting it from the rooftop. So that's my, my guess as to why we haven't heard any numbers. If new numbers come out, and they're higher than that, I'll be shocked. If they're around that range, 400 to 500K, that sounds about right. If they're lower, wouldn't be terribly shocked, but that would also show that Usman is not as big of a draw as a lot of people thought following his wins over Masvidal, right? Um, this is against a opponent that they have good feud, you know, good drama and beef with, but not necessarily a major draw um, in terms of ratings and buys. So. We'll see if we get any numbers. If we do, it could be a long time, but my guess is it probably did around 400, I'm gonna say 400K 
on the lower end, actually, instead of 500k. I think it's probably 400k. And yeah, I just don't think Usman got as much of that drawing power as Masvidal did from being Diaz. That's how this works, unfortunately. It's you got to have big moments, you got to capitalize on them, and even when you have those big moments, doesn't necessarily mean it transfers over the way one might assume, right? Usman's a very dominant welterweight champion, but don't know that he's being, you know, a big pay-per-view draw and going to reach the level of stardom as say an Adesanya or somebody else. So, it is what it is. We'll see what the numbers are, but. That's my take on it anyway. All right, now we are on to the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is the Endeavor Q3 earnings call. It was a big one this past Monday. And I mean, there's no other way to state it other than Endeavor did very, very well. And the UFC in particular was called out for how well it was doing. So Endeavor ended up posting a net income of $63.6 million. Uh, brought the company back into the black. They had been in the red last year with COVID, everything else going on. That's not surprising that they were in the red, but to come back and get that type of net income is is good, to say the least. It's very, very good. Uh, also beat Wall Street's you know projections. Ended up with a you know revenue of 1.39 billion, where Wall Street had them at 1.3 billion. So anytime you can beat Wall Street's projections on an earnings call, always a good time. Also, as Mr. Paul Gift, our friend over at Forbes MMA Analytics on Twitter pointed out, uh, they raised their overall guidance $100 million or so on revenue and $70 million after EBITDA. Anytime you do that on earnings call, stock goes up generally. Um, after hours trading is already up for EDR. I expect the next couple days it will go up. You never know because Wall Street and, and stocks right now are all over the place with a lot of different things going on. But I would imagine this stock is going up following uh, follow, following these um, these earnings. I am not a recommending that you buy it or sell it or what have you. I'm not a licensed professional, none of that stuff. So let me just get that out of the way. Not saying anything about that. Just saying that this is very good news on an earnings call. This is what you love to see, what you love to talk about. Um, if you're an investor, if you're a shareholder, you are overjoyed at this news. Couple of UFC specifics that were called out. Um, one, that they've acquired, you know, nine new media rights deal in the Asia Pac area. That is because Fox Sports Asia is essentially gone and so the UFC had to negotiate with the regional areas that made up Fox Sports Asia um, instead of just going through Fox Sports Asia but they expect they'll actually get more money out of it because they're actually you know increasing the fees per region so that's a plus for them um, big ones are that the overall owned sports properties which endeavor you know when you break down what Owned, owned sports properties are an endeavor. It mostly the UFC. Um, there is the Euro Basketball League. There is PBR. And PBR did come back with events and all of that, but still, um, it's a it, big increase. As John Nash had pointed out on Twitter, that's also in the documents um, from Endeavor's filing. Two hundred and fifty million dollars through the first nine months of twenty twenty one. Two hundred fifty million dollars more than own sports properties did in 2020. Now, I don't believe that that's necessarily all the UFC. I think a couple other things coming back um, as COVID's kind of retreated a little bit and certain countries have kind of just said whatever to COVID, um, at least certain areas of countries. I think that's a big part of it too, but I shouldn't say big. I think that's part of it. It's mostly the UFC, right? UFC is mostly driving that $250 million. Endeavor also came out and said that the UFC had the best nine months in company history, 2021. That's also not shocking, right? Um, when you look at how well they kind of navigated COVID and then kind of got into the swing of things, once events came back, they did very big sold out pay-per-views where people were just you know craving events. 
but then also smartly have kept fight nights at the apex. I think that's a huge boon to them because of the costs, right? Dana White talked about when they were building the apex and before they actually hosted events there, he wanted it to be kind of, you know, one-stop shop for everything where they could, you know, film the ultimate fighter. They could film fights. They could film vignettes, do all this stuff in one area. A big part of that is, is cutting down costs. You don't have to drag a ring across, you know, the country and go to a show in Wichita that may or may not do okay. And is it depending on who's fighting on it? Right. Um, and yeah, you can end up with a big, big house show, of course, but this drastically reduces cost and, and probably so much so that it's worth it versus the ticket revenue that they would get in certain parts of the country. Cause you do in certain areas still have, um, COVID restrictions or new COVID restrictions coming out, um, for the U S anyway. Um, and I believe Colorado, they're talking about introducing some, depending on where you are and depending on, you know, what COVID is doing some places it's like, okay, we don't care. We're just having these events or it's kind of receded and people feel free to go out now. What have you, I, I mean, those areas could be potential money makers, but being able to cut down costs and then selling VIP experiences to the apex fight nights, which by the way, are very pricey. I mean, we're talking, I, some of the VIP experience I've seen are like four grand and up. I mean, which is crazy, but you know, being able to do that, you end up offsetting a lot of that cost so much that you're probably saving money. So you've got that going on. You've got these cards that are again, maybe headlined by a really good fight, or you've got, you know, a great main and co-main. And then the rest are not so much a lot of newer guys, a lot of contender series, guys who are going to be lower on the payout spectrum for the UFC, making up the majority of the card. I mean, that's big too. That's, that's huge. That cuts costs. That only drives up revenue. You can, you can increase your overall net income one or two ways. You either cut costs or you drive up revenue you increase selling of the product, right? So misspoke before cutting costs drives net income because you are paying less. Doesn't sell more tickets necessarily. In this case, obviously it doesn't because it's the, the apex you're not selling. Don't believe the VIP experiences, even if they're all sold out equate to a full arena in some of these towns, but it still gives you more net income overall, which is the goal. That's the big numbers that Endeavor and all these other places want to see. So making all these changes, they've, they've done extremely well, right? Um, I'm not shocked that they've had their best nine months in company history. Um, we know from Moody's, uh, some of the stuff that's been released through their reporting and their statements, the UFC has been doing exceedingly well. And that's why Endeavor bought them. You know, it's it's to keep them afloat while they work to get their other businesses working, which it sounds like they're starting to get some traction on. So again, looking through some of these very big highlights here, the overall message is the UFC killed it. That in turn allowed Endeavor to reach new heights with swinging everything around from being in, in the red to going into the black um, and, and is driving Endeavor's growth at this point. Um, looking just through some of the statements here to make sure I didn't miss any of the other big highlights. Um, a couple people I pointed out and, and they mentioned this in their reporting that, you know, um, Q3 is actually decreased revenue wise in 2021 than 2020. But part of that is from a $25 million contract termination fee, uh, as well as, you know, some issue in, uh, insurance issues with PBR and stuff, you know, direct operating costs were a little bit higher, uh, but you know, nothing, I don't know. 
nothing that's that screams oh this could be an issue going forward right um you know increase in athlete compensation production and marketing expenses at the ufc makes it sound like people are getting paid more and obviously production and marketing is a big deal um but there's also been an increase in pbr events held which has has driven up a lot of those increases compared to q3 of last year when we were still in you know pan more pandemic times i mean we're still there but you know not the same level we were so it's not surprising that operating costs are up 27 percent um it looks like as well as you know a couple yeah a couple other things here and there but nothing to me that stands out that you really got to dive into endeavor still has a bunch of bad debt still you know is overall trying to make its way as this gigantic conglomerate but the ufc is is doing its job it's really driving the revenue and growth that endeavor needs in order to increase acquisitions to continue to put on other events and build some of these other things that they've got under their you know beyond sports owned property you've got endeavor content which is now shortlisting people for series and things they're creating that ecosystem and that costs a lot of money ufc is the bankroll for that endeavor ecosystem right now and it's doing its job that's really the big highlight that in turn leads us to strategy right you know i'm a big strategy guy it's my favorite thing to talk about if i'm the ufc if i'm endeavor i am continuing with the current strategy and possibly ramping up successful initiatives that happened in the past three quarters Um, those initiatives again might include cost-cutting measures keeping fight nights at the apex i would love to see the ufc on the road again you know, before the pandemic hit, it was announced that the UFC was going to be here in Austin again. I've been to an Austin show here. I love it. I would love to be a part of that. I don't know that's going to happen again, at least any time in the near future. It's just not, you know, economically feasible, I feel like, in a lot of cases. Um, I do feel like they'll eventually start doing some road shows just because that lack of constant shows will force fans to be like oh i actually want to go to something and can afford it cool i'm going to go do this but then again it, it all has to make economic sense and i feel like the apex has really delivered with cutting production costs and doing all of that other stuff i know we just talked about an increase uh in q3 of production costs and all that but i i don't attribute that to the and all of that and, and in fact you know that that comparison is again against 2020 when a completely different landscape right completely different landscape of the pandemic was we're about six months in no vaccine none of that stuff so i'm not shocked at all um but yeah i i feel like the apex fights nights will continue i feel like these fight nights people are complaining about where you've got you know one or two good matches at the top and then a lot of you know contender series or tough guy signed regional guys i feel like that's going to continue because um, obviously there's according to espn as which we'll talk about here in a little bit still driving subscription growth and the costs have to be cheaper those contender series contender series guys are signed on pretty much the bare minimum contract right so not only do you have a show that a bunch of people watch at least hardcore fans watch to see if you make it to the UFC so that that can kind of engage you and be like, Oh, I remember him from contender series. I remember his story. I remember all this stuff. It also keeps you essentially having now your own mini farm league to fill these fight night cards with not the best type of fights. Right. Um, not to say that they can't put on exciting fight night cards, right? Uh, Holloway versus Rodriguez is a perfect example where on paper you had a couple of good fights and then it was kind of eh, delivered big time. And that's happened a lot. But from a on-paper perspective, you know, these haven't been the best cards in a long time that weren't pay-per-view cards. And that's 
okay with the UFC. It's obviously working. They're still getting enough people watching, getting enough people paying for the experience. All this stuff, it still fulfills their deal with ESPN. Why would you stack Fight Night cards? The only reason I see them stacking Fight Night cards at this point is because you have to offer fighters so many fights within a contracted period of time that you happen to end up with a pretty stacked card because a lot of people needed to be offered fights and they accepted so on and so forth. Scheduling. Logistics. Otherwise, there's no reason to stack a fight night card at this point. The UFC has proved that. I mean, I hate to tell some of you out there that are really hoping for, you know, fight nights of old. I think they're gone. I think they're pretty much gone because there's no reason for the UFC to do that at this point. I'm fairly certain that was a big reason that their net income uh, and revenue went up. Overall, the net income, not not overall revenue, but, you know, costs. That's that's what they're doing. They're cutting costs. Um, sponsorship deals, obviously, with crypto. Uh, Zip Recruiter, which is a weird one, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, those have been killing it lately as well. I think the Venom deal has has gone well because you've been able to parlay that into these other sponsorships. Reebok, I'm sure, had very big requirements, right? I doubt if we were still in the Reebok uniform era, you end up getting a Reebok uniform with a Crypto.com logo on it. Venom, I, I would imagine, is much more open because they're a smaller company, to sponsorships with things like Crypto.com, ZipRecruiter, other sponsors that may want to have things on the logo. You have the, God, I have to look this up. The the light heavyweight rank rankings are sponsored by something called Battle Motors. Sponsoring the rankings now. Yeah, why not? I mean, heck, if somebody's going to pay you to sponsor the rankings, why wouldn't you do it? If, if you're the UFC, you're going to say no, especially if it's a like may fit the bill. Yes, it's Battle Mo- Motors Triple C, which is, I mean, just looking this up right now on my phone because I just remembered this. Um, harness 75 years of severe service truck technology with the most durable, hardworking electric truck on the streets today. Okay, so it looks like a electric truck companies, battle trucks. Oh, okay, yeah, it's it's recycling and medium duty and all this stuff. It's big, big trucks, big dump trucks, recycling things. Okay, still, right? Why not? If if somebody's going to pay you for that, why wouldn't you do that? So, I I think. Those are going to continue. I think you're going to see, with, I don't know about the end of the year, but I would say within a year, I would imagine every rankings has some sort of sponsor or near every rankings will have a sponsor. Maybe not women's featherweight or something like that, but you know, um, I, I think those have been crucial, crucial to this growth is big sponsorships. And I mean, media rights deals, of course, you're going to continue to see, as we mentioned with the Asia pack um, renegotiations, that's a perfect opportunity for the UFC to negotiate individually with those regions and possibly get more money out of them individually than what they did as a whole with Fox Sports Asia. But I mean, you're, you're looking at sponsorships and cost cutting as the main increase in revenue here is my thought because pay-per-view buys have been good, but we're not talking, you know, I mean, I mean, they have been very good this year with McGregor fighting as often as he did. Um, you know, uh, you, you definitely have good, good pay-per-view numbers this year, but nothing that to me jumps out as being, whoa, it's crazy numbers overall. Um, at least from what we've seen reported, right? That's another thing. As I mentioned in the previous segment, we don't have the official numbers. I don't think we'll get official numbers unless you get McGregor leaking them or other athletes leaking them. Otherwise, you're never going to get official numbers. It's always going to be kind of off. And a lot of these cards now, we just don't hear anything and it just goes on by. It's like, what were the numbers? Oh, we don't know. And that's that. And they may be good. And so maybe that's driving it too. But 
I really think it comes down to the sponsorship deals and these cost-cutting measures. That's what jumps out at my eye. That's from a strategy perspective, something I'm going to continue. So I don't know if you're going to get a jersey fully decked out in like 10 different sponsors. I could see it if the UFC could work that. But regardless, expect a lot more of those two initiatives. That, that would be my guess, is a, a lot more sponsorship deals and opportunities uh, for fighters as well as the UFC and partnerships. And then, um, yeah, I mean, of course, cost-cutting measures. We've seen this. We've seen this now for a while, as you know, um, was pointed out at one point during contender series this season. I mentioned, you know, at this point, you've got, I think I said 25%. It may actually be a little bit below that in the 20 ish percent range because the, the roster is always in flux. But I'm, I'm, it's 20 to 25% of the UFC roster right now is comes from contender series. That is very important. Because that means 20 to 25% of the UFC roster is getting paid very low. Some of those guys will be on their next tier of deals, uh, especially the ones that are kind of coming through and making a name for themselves. But a lot of those guys are, are getting paid on that bare minimum entry fee. That will help keep your costs very low. And as we've seen, we've seen a lot of veterans. Randa Marcos just won her last fight. Cut. Uh, comma worthy, yeah, I wouldn't call him a, a tried and true veteran, but you know, cut. Um, Liviana Souza, cut. I mean, the more fights you get at this point, if you're not winning consistently enough, even if you win your last fight, you may end up getting cut, or it may end up being you know your contract expires and you end up going somewhere else. And that's just going to keep happening. I feel like the UFC is going to keep anyone they consider as a rising star or as someone that can really, you know, tear through the rankings, make some noise, and they're going to cut more people faster if you're not delivering consistent wins or letting contracts expire, rather. I think people will still be able to get to tier two or three in the contracts, right? The formula that's been devised that came out in the UFC antitrust lawsuit. I'm sure that formula has changed a little bit, but still you fight three or four fights on the bare minimum, you get knocked up to the next level, uh, find another four fights, get knocked up to the next level, etc. I think getting into that, you know, second or third contract renewal is going to be increasingly difficult unless you are making waves like Chemaev or, um, you know, uh, Adrian Yanez, guys like that, that are that are really standing out, putting on exciting fights. I think they're going to keep getting these big renewals. Other fighters, it was already hard as it was to get into those extra renewals, but now I think it's going to be even harder um, because then you're going to start to cost too much and they're just going to find somebody from the contender series or from looking for a fight to just slip right in. So, or tough, right? I mean, they're keeping tough around, yes, because... ESPN Plus needs content, but also because it is a way to let in people on the bare minimum contract that they want to, right? So, I I mean, you just got to be careful um, in terms of if you're a new fighter looking out for that, I would say that you've got to win. You've got to look at if you come in through the contender series, you've got to perform quickly. But business-wise, yeah, the UFC is going to keep doing it. It's too lucrative them so lots and lots of news and things to unpack in this call i think i've hit most of the big ones if you think i've missed anything or if you have any questions for me around the call i have gone through the financial statements i didn't want to go too into them too much because you know this show is great for some of us business nerds but i i don't want to ramble all day long about it. So if you have a particular question, make sure to hit me up uh, in a comment below on YouTube or hit me up on Twitter at alldayoj, spelled A-U-G-E-R. I'll be happy to answer any questions you have regarding that. But strategy-wise, again, UFC is just going to keep doing what they're doing. Sponsorship, cost-cutting. I guarantee it. What is it, Burlington Coat Factory? I think it's Burlington Coat Factory. I guarantee it. Something like that. Men's Warehouse, whatever. All right. On to the next thing. All right, next thing to talk about. LFA has extended their deal with UFC Fight Pass through 2025. It's a big deal for a lot of reasons. If you don't remember the saga of LFA's broadcast partnership, 
they were with Access TV, uh, got nixed when Access was bought by a company called Anthem, uh, not the healthcare place. It's a different sports company. Steve Harvey was part owner. I uh, got rid of that, and then they put on, uh, you know, Impact Wrestling and Combate Global. Uh, I talked to Ed Soros, uh, president and CEO of LFA, right after everything happened in regards to that deal. Uh, he was not happy. They were kind of blindsided. There's an interview out there of me uh, discussing it with him. He, he was very upset by it. Um, bad business is what he called it, I believe. And, and rightfully so, I would agree. Uh, seems like a big old switch to just then put in some other martial arts and things. It, it was an interesting call. But regardless, uh, they were blindsided by that. They were trying to figure out how to, you know, continue their broadcast deal because that's a huge part of their promotion. And then they ended up signing with Fight Pass. In discussing that first deal with LFA, between LFA and Fight Pass, um, an interesting point was brought up to me through Mr. Soros that the LFA is then on the hook for all of their own production. So whereas Access TV did a lot of the production when they were under that deal and it was kind of like a joint effort, really UFC Fight Pass is more the distributor. They, they help a little bit, but it, production was pretty much on LFA. That's why if you go back and look at the first couple shows when LFA did the deal with Fight Pass, you know, it's it's I applaud them, especially for the crew they had. Like, man, I don't know how they were able to put together the things they did because they were running on a skeleton crew for a bit. So shout out to them. Um, but, you know, there were just a, a completely different production style than Axis. And it was definitely a little bit more homemade in the first show, getting your you know bearings. And then from there, they've, they've only continued to grow and now they're in a good spot. But, um, you know, it, it shifted the onus of production onto the promotion fully. And it's just a distribution. That is definitely a con of a fight pass deal is, you know, you have to handle the graphics, the, you know, vignettes, the different kind of camera work, all of that. And you have to adhere to the UFC's rules, fight passes rules. But, you know, most of the work is on you to put on the show to, to produce. That is trying, I feel like. Uh, for smaller promotions, you know, um, again, shout out to LFA. They've been able to do it very well at this point. They, and, and even when they had to go through their craziness uh, of switching um, broadcast par partners the way they did, they handled it beautifully. It's just something that any smaller promotion has to take into account when looking at doing a deal with Fight Pass. I think that's a big con with the Fight Pass deals. The pros are obviously, you know, Fight Pass is a recognized name for the hard course. Um, I know a lot of people that have Fight Pass because of the library in and of itself. Uh, I had Fight Pass for a while. I occasionally re-sign up when I want to go through and do all the library stuff. I'm not an analyst, so I'm not looking at, you know, a ton of old fights if i get nostalgic and i'm like you know what i want to watch pride like i will subscribe for a month or two and then let it go um, and I, I love watching you know lfa and the other promotion fight pass but it's just for me you know it is what it is but i understand why a lot of people have fight pass and why it's a big deal you know another con to that though is that if you're on something like access tv or you're on a a channel even if it's a reduced cable channel you have the ability to track to attract newer audiences e easier right um you're somebody that maybe is kind of thinking about watching a lfa card is not going to pay for a ufc fight pass subscription just to w watch a card and then decide if they like it or not that that was part of the beauty of being on cable or on a bigger streaming service it is you know especially cable flipping channel surfing channel surfing man it, it feels so old saying that now because it's just a thing of the past but you used to channel surf right 
you you didn't have the option of oh you know here's these commercials i want to look at something else or oh there's nothing good on my favorite channels i wonder what else is on you know you just looked and occasionally you might stumble across something like lfa and be like oh this is actually cool i think that's actually how i watched my very first lfa event forever ago it's it's a thing of the past now though and so you lose kind of potential to drag some people in but still i mean you're you're getting what i assume is good money because you know they're not gonna do bad business deals over at lfa they're too important they're too they're too big as a feeder league for ufc bellator and uh one pfl they're they're not going to they're not going to to do bad deals uh in general so i i know they they do their due diligence over there so you know they're i'm sure they're getting good money it allows them to be on a platform that they know combat sports enthusiasts who are bigger like ufc fans or um you know bellator fans bigger promotions they might find them which it's more likely you're going to convert somebody like lfa right so that is good for them um but there are pros and cons to it through 2025 i mean that locks you in for another four years i think it's the right call uh, i think it's a good deal for them but you know it, it's something where i'll be very curious to see where they go in 2025 and beyond because lfa is the biggest feeder they're they're not i've been specifically told by them once to never call them a a regional promotion and i agree they travel enough right they go all over the world they're not a regional promotion they're a upper level than that um but they are in that space of being kind of the minor leagues the premier minor leagues for bigger promotions they're kind of the triple a one of the triple a's they're a couple right but um they're they're a big triple a league out there along with invictus or invicta invictus uh invicta um couple others you know but but really they're one of the biggest so i will be curious to see what they do in regards to media rights beyond 2025 especially if fight pass subscriptions depending on how they do over the next four years um, with more and more content going over to espn plus because that's what espn is really craving but I think right now it's a great deal. It makes a lot of sense for them. Allows them to, you know, keep stability throughout the next four years and to bounce back from the pandemic without having to add another wrinkle of, oh, now we've got to find another, you know, broadcast provider, all of that. So some pros and cons to it, but I like the deal a lot. Um, happy for them. Uh, and, and yeah, I hope they continue to put on great shows and expand their reach because they're they're doing great work out there so shout out to lfa next thing i want to talk about here is the professional fighters league and legends global merchandise have signed an exclusive multi-year deal that will see legends produce pfl branded products and memorabilia uh, memorabilia uh, legends is also the exclusive global e-commerce provider for pfl so if you look at what legends really is um you know, it, it's a way for PFL to sell their, again, their merchandise, so shirts, sweatshirts, hats, all that fun stuff. Um, they entered into a strategic partnership earlier in the year. I had talked about it on a previous Fight Business podcast. Uh, now they are, you know, going full on into a ownership stake where Legends is actually purchasing an ownership stake of the PFL and will be the exclusive provider for all of the apparel um they talk about vip experiences here i'm not sure exactly what that is don't necessarily think it's like the ufc vip experience but it could be where you have like special seating at events or you know different meet, fighter meet and greets and all that stuff uh, there's definitely elements to it i'm sure that are similar but um you know it, it's a big deal because in this pr piece which was sent out on november 4th so a bit ago but i apologize i was off a week um you have dave moroknik the president of 
uh, Legends Global Merchandise stating, this is a very strategic initiative for us as Legends Global Merchandise is the leader in e-commerce and specifically MMA e-commerce and merchandising. We are thrilled to be associated with the PFL as we expand our partnership through the entire throughout the entire Legends organization. We have set our sights on working closely with the PFL to deliver the best merchandise with the best customer experience to the fans of the PFL. The fact that he calls it a strategic initiative in the PR piece leads me to believe that this is a big deal where they're putting a lot of their not maybe not all I don't think all but they're putting a lot of their eggs in their basket in, in this basket right and they must have seen enough numbers and enough you know behind the scenes type of graphs and presentations and I'm sure they had discussions with, with you know all of that uh, where they they thought it made sense to get this deal done and to purchase a stake in the PFL that's interesting based on what we've talked about before, right? Uh, ratings for the PFL championship were very bad uh, for season three. A lot of people and hardcore fans like the PFL. I love the PFL's format. Um, I was excited to see them sign other people. I feel like a lot of hardcore fans, MMA fans, were also excited to you know see Pettis and uh, Verdum and some more notable na bigger names in the PFL this past season. Uh, Rory, I, I hope next season it grows even bigger. But, you know, from a numbers perspective, hasn't been the best. Had to do a lot of funding. Um, ratings haven't been great. But as I said before, following the third season championship of the PFL, if you can convince people to give you money, you can just keep on rolling until you're profitable, right? The goal of a startup company is to, yes, turn profitable, but ultimately it's to keep the money flowing until you're profitable. If you are very good at getting money to flow in or you have certain metrics and things that show to a long-term growth potential slash future horizon, you can convince people to give you money for a long time. And that's what the PFL has to do right now is continue that funding coming on and until they can actually turn the corner and be in the black. This is part of that. Selling equity is, you know, never a great sign, but not necessarily a bad sign. A lot of companies have to sell equity in order to reach that next level. Almost all startups do. Um, at this stage, being three seasons in, the partnership to actually get merchandise out as well, I think, makes sense um, from the PFL perspective where, like, yeah, you can give away a bit of equity. You also have now a bunch of merchandising opportunities and somebody handling all of that. But it's still, it depends on how much equity, right? We don't know that. It does not say in the press release what we're looking at percentage-wise. I would love to know that number. I've done some digging. I have not been able to find it. I'm going to keep reaching out to sources and seeing if I hear anything on that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it. it's interesting because if, again, I'm looking from the outside in, I'm very hesitant to invest in the PFL. So either A, you've got somebody that's really good at selling, Right, Don Davis is um, going out there and killing it at these presentations uh, and and these boardroom discussions. Uh, you've got metrics behind the scenes that things are not as bad as they appear. Trust me, we're all good. Here's all the metrics that prove that, and investors are seeing that and saying, you know what? Okay, we're in. Um, or you just got you know people that are making not the best decisions, which happens a lot in business, right? Um, startups fail all the time. Partnerships happen all the time that end up not well. Uh, you know, I've worked for companies, worked for one company in particular that acquired another company, said it was going to be this groundbreaking thing. Uh, three years later, nothing came of it. Spun off and sold the company for a much reduced price. 
you know, it, it happens. It happens. Business is not nearly, how do I want to phrase this? It's important to note that in the business world, there are not nearly as many smart people in the room as both you and I think and themselves think. That's just how it is. I've seen that from the outside. In. So I'm not saying that's the case here, but from the outside, I am very wary of, uh, you know, looking at, yeah, I, I just, there's no other way to put it. From the outside looking in, to me, it's it's flag city right now. But internally, maybe there's things that I'm I'm not aware of. And Legend saw enough that, hey, we're in, or it's a very small stake, who knows, but it's good for the PFL. That's for sure, because they need to keep the money coming in, especially if they want to try and entice bringing back Kayla Harrison, who if they lose her in free agency, that's going to be a big blow. Um, They've got to get other big name fighters. They've got to get a media rights deal with ESPN seemingly not renewing them. They need to be, you know, firing on all fronts here. So big deal in that regard. But I wouldn't hold my breath on it, you know, being a sign of, oh, they're big, big things coming and they're they're actually killing it behind the scenes. I don't know about that, but you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and great job on the PFL for securing that. And I, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes of season four and what kind of merchandising and events and experiences they're offering. It'll, it'll be interesting, that's for sure. Last thing to cover for this episode is something I alluded to earlier, which is apparently ESPN is very happy with the UFC's work on driving ESPN Plus subscriptions. Uh, You've got around 14.9 million ESPN Plus subscriptions right now. Um, I believe it was a tweet from the Sports Business Journal. I can't find it specifically here. Um, But there there are a couple of things out there uh, where internally it seems like ESPN is very happily very happy (laughs) with the UFC and what they've done to drive ESPN Plus numbers, which is really the whole point of their partnership, right? Um, you had the big sign-up when UFC first went over to ESPN Plus, where you got a ton of people to sign up for the service for that uh, Cejudo Dillashaw fight was a big driver there. That eventually led to the exclusive pay-per-view agreement between ESPN and the UFC, which you know now is producing ridiculous money bags for the UFC and quite possibly ESPN as well, if the UFC is really driving all this ESPN plus subscriber growth. And, you know, it it made sense to have this deal and to even go the pay-per-view route for a lot of reasons. But to be at this stage of the deal and have your broadcast partner be happy with what you're doing and having it kind of be leaked that way in news reports and through sources saying like, yeah, people are very happy um, with UFC. ESPN people are very happy with UFC. That's, you can't get better than that because you're talking about a huge deal for the UFC that allowed them to go from this crazy variable type model where the variable revenue needed to sell pay-per-views if you have a bad year or stars get hurt not a good time. You have people like Conor McGregor and Brock Lesnar really having leverage over you and being able to drive harder bargains because you are dependent on them for the pay-per-view buys. That is all pretty much gone now. And you are instead in this era of really fixed, mostly fixed revenue streams at your core with some variable revenue coming in uh, if pay-per-view buys exceed a certain amount and some other deals here and there. I mean, it it transformed the business, right? It's really what allowed the UFC to have the best nine months they've ever had and to reach these new heights. There's a reason why they became so profitable that Endeavor pulled the trigger on fully purchasing the remaining UFC shares. If they hadn't, UFC would be a public company. I guarantee it. I guarantee KKR or Silver Lake would have pulled the trigger and said, nope, we want shares. In the UFC, we're going to pull these provisions that we have 
uh, in the initial deal that was made between Endeavor, KKR, and Silver Lake when Endeavor took a majority stake in the UFC, and we're going to pull pull that trigger, and UFC is going to go public, and and they'd be killing it right now. They would be doing so well right now. It wouldn't even be funny. Uh, I don't know what entry point the stock price would have been put at. I would have bought at the opening easily, <laughs> uh, especially with what you see what they're doing now. But you're now in an era where losing this model would be very bad. And this is the first deal of its kind between the UFC and a real pay-per-view provider, right? Exclusive pay-per-view provider. So making ESPN happy is of paramount importance for the promotion. Um, making sure that at the end of seven years, ESPN is not saying, hey, yeah, that was great and all. We had some highs, we had some lows, but we're going to go somewhere else is very big. Because if the UFC had to revert back to the multiple outlet pay-per-view model again, where, again, you, you've got all of these different people getting cuts, uh, pay-per-view numbers are being reported pretty much every event, all of that, that's a very bad thing for them at this point. It takes away a lot of that fixed revenue. You, you end up in a spot where you would need all of those big stars again. UFC never wants to go back to that. And they ideally want to be at a spot where again, ESPN picks them up or they've done such a good job that somebody else offers to pick them up and be exclusive. That's the goal of that deal. So to hear ESPN say that, yes, it's driving our subscriber growth, it's doing all that, that's music to the UFC's ears. You couple that with the week they've had, I mean, I'm sure they're having crazy parties over at UFC headquarters right now. I would be, I mean, good Lord, best nine months in company history, uh, ESPN extremely happy with you. Uh, what more can you want? So, again, that points to. I hate to tell some of you guys this: the changes you want to see, more merit-based matchups, uh, more stacked fight night cards, all this other stuff. Nah, it's not happening. A lot of people have asked me, you know, what's the business decision? behind not doing Carla Esparza versus Rose Namajunas now that Rose has beaten Whaley again. Well, clearly there's something metric-wise that they have with Esparza where she's not a big draw. And the fact that Dana says, hey, we have somebody else, is somebody else must be drawing well. Yes, he's hiding it behind the smokescreen of, oh, well, she sat out, you don't sit out. But we've seen multiple times people sit out and then get rewarded for it. Tyron Woodley, Stipe, uh, the list goes on and on, right? So uh, expect more of that. Expect more Leon Edwards to win nine fights. Uh, Chimaev, arguably, he fights Burns next, and then he gets a title shot. The, this era is not going away anytime soon. It has been too lucrative for them. This is a prime example of a strategy working, giving you an already greater competitive edge than, than you had before. There's no way that you do not continue the majority of the big initiatives. They'll tweak it. You always do. Market changes um, and strategies run their course, and you've got to you know reconfigure things. But right now, you're running with this and... and you're not looking back. So, yeah, don't expect any of those big changes in that regard. Um, don't expect ESPN to air grievances and, you know, ask for changes and say, hey, UFC, look, we need you to maybe switch this up a little bit and kind of use their leverage as their partner to say, well, maybe we change a couple things. Nope, ESPN loves it. So none of that's happening. Sorry to tell you guys that. Um, but from a strategic perspective, again, killing it on all cylinders, and you're you're gonna run with this until you have indicators that flash and say, "Hey, we've got to change." Otherwise, you're you're setting this on cruise control, and you're again throwing a extravagant, extravagant parties at UFC headquarters. I would imagine. So, all right, guys, that is it for this episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Appreciate you guys watching on youtube make sure you hit the like subscribe bell notification button uh if you're listening on anchor 
appreciate or any other podcast network, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of that. I appreciate that as well. I uh, love you guys for it. Sorry I missed last week. Had some family stuff come up and was a whole thing, but we're good. All good, all good vibes, all good times. Uh, expect next week's episode to be out on time. Everything to go, you know, according to plan. Fingers crossed, though, now that I say that, who knows. But I appreciate and love you guys. If you have any questions that, about anything business-wise, hit me up at All Day OJ or drop some comments. I'll be happy to talk to you. And until next time, get that money. <laughs>